invite you to take your Bible and open with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 23. The Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 23, and we're going to think this morning for a few minutes about some encounters that Jesus had on the road to the cross. Of course, today is Palm Sunday. We know this is the day when Jesus, we commemorate this as the day when Jesus walked into Jerusalem, rode into Jerusalem rather, and that set off a series of events that will ultimately lead us to Easter Sunday, which we'll get to next week. But a whole lot of things happen between the day Jesus comes into Jerusalem and the day that he is resurrected from the dead. And it's impossible for me this morning to cover all of those events. Uh, I could just focus on Palm Sunday, but there's so much more that happened that week, and you'll have a chance to reflect on that Friday as we have uh, uh, our Easter labyrinth where you can come from 3 to 7 p.m. and uh, the FLC gym site and kind of walk through at your own pace and uh, learn more about everything that happened this week. So what I want to do this morning, the way I want to approach it this morning, is to look at this chapter and to notice the people that Jesus encounters as he makes his way to the cross. See, a lot of people have, have looked at Luke chapter 23 and they've said this is kind of the dividing line of eternity, if you will. Because what you see happen in Luke chapter 23 is you see Jesus have these various encounters, and the way that each person responds to Jesus, it's not just recorded for the historical purposes. I think it's there to help us see that we are in this story as well, that each of the people whom Jesus encounters in Luke 23, we find ourselves in their lives. They, in fact, represent us. And so what we'll do this morning is we'll read through the chapter, and, and then after we read through the chapter, we'll, we'll think of how we fit into what God is trying to tell us. Let's look at Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 1. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him, that's Jesus, before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priest and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, Pilate sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. For he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no answer. The chief priest and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with the, his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. 
Pilate then called together the chief priests and rulers of the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people, and after examining him before you, behold, I do not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him, neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. So we got Pilate, we got Herod, we got uh, the, the chief priest, we got the crown, and we got Barabbas. Barabbas was a man, verse 19, who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection, started in the city, and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time, Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? I, find, I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, Barabbas, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. You see, people existing side by side in this life, people who work in the same office, who work at the same business, people who go to the same school, people who sit in the same classes, two people who are members of the same family, two people who might even be members of the same connection group or small group or Sunday school class, two people who might even be sitting on the same pew this morning, two people can be separated for eternity depending upon how they respond to Jesus. This is what you see here in this chapter. You see different people responding to Jesus in different ways. Who is it that Jesus met this day? Who is it that he had an encounter with this day? And which one best reflects you? Let's look at them briefly this morning. First, understand this. Jesus met someone who was distracted from that which was most important. See, we're introduced to a man by the name of, of Pilate in verses 1 through 5, and, and Pilate was too distracted with other matters to give Jesus any serious attention. He, he asked this question, Pilate does, in verse 3, are you king of the Jews? He doesn't ask that because he thought Jesus might really be the Messiah. He asked that because he thought Jesus might be a political threat to him. What they said in verse 2 about Jesus, that this man is misleading, he's forgiving, forbidding us from giving tribute to Caesar, he's setting himself up as a king. What they said in verse 2 led to his question in verse 3. And I love Jesus' response. Jesus said... You have said so. Very evasive, very elusive. In, in essence, he just says, whatever you think, whatever you say. He refused to answer the question for a very specific reason. Jesus is letting Pilate know he's asking the wrong question. 
He's not focused on what is most important. You see, Pilate comes to the conclusion that there are no grounds in which to condemn Jesus. In fact, he restates that three times in verse 14, verse 15, verse 22. Pilate is convinced that Jesus is innocent, yet he consents to his murder. Why? Why would Pilate believing him to be innocent, consent to his murder because he was more concerned with appeasing the crowd than he was with doing right by Jesus. Pilate was so distracted with keeping things in order in the land that he was governing, he had no time to consider, is Jesus really who he says he is? Pilate did not so much, watch this, he did not so much reject Jesus as he chose to be indifferent toward Jesus. He didn't dispute what people were saying about Jesus, he just didn't care. You see, distraction will send you to hell just like disbelief will. Focusing on the wrong question, focusing on the wrong request, getting distracted from who Jesus is, is just as much a sin as disbelief. There are still pilots who exist in this world today. There are people who were so distracted by their circumstances and by life that they fail to consider who Jesus really is. They're asking the wrong questions. That They're asking, well, well, Jesus, I'll follow you, but can you give me a happy life if I do? Jesus, can, can you help me find a spouse? Can you help me fix my kids? Can you get me the promotion? What if you have been asking the wrong questions? What if, like Pilate, you have been so focused upon the wrong thing? What if the most important question for you to consider this morning is who Jesus really is? What if the most important question is if you know him? What if the most important question for you to consider this morning is are you prepared to meet God? Don't become so distracted that you miss the most important thing. That's the relationship with Jesus. But Jesus not only met Pilate, Jesus also met this guy named Herod. And in meeting Herod, Jesus met someone who was curious about him, but someone who was not very serious about repentance. You see Herod in verses 6 through 12, this is the Herod who was having an affair with his brother's wife. I talk about a Jerry Springer show, here we go. Now if you remember, when he had this affair, John the Baptist confronted him, and the sister-in-law of his, wife, of, his, of his brother was so outraged, she demanded that John the Baptist's head be brought to her. And this Herod obliged. Here's something interesting in, in, in Matthew's account of the gospel. Matthew lets us know that Pilate was so paranoid about what he had done in killing John the Baptist that he thought Jesus might be John the Baptist come back from the dead to haunt him as his ghost. He was so paranoid about what he had done. But now Herod is curious about Jesus. In fact, if you notice in the text, he wanted to see Jesus do a sign. 
He, he wanted Jesus to, he wanted to, to, to rub the, the genie lamp and see Jesus pop out and, and maybe Jesus would do something neat. Maybe it would be some, some miracle, just some sign or wonder that he wanted Jesus to do. But his curiosity was very superficial. When it came time to get down to the nitty-gritty aspect of repentance, Herod had no interest in that. See, Herod is a picture of us today of people who may come to church. In fact, people who may be sitting in this church right now people who may do something spiritual every now and then, but they never get serious about following Jesus because if they were to get serious about following Jesus, that would require confession and repentance, and that is too costly. There are folks who are curious about Jesus, but they're not that serious about repentance. You know, I wonder about Herod, if I could just kind of pause and give you a parenthetical here. When I think about Herod and I think about his interaction with Jesus, I wonder if he ever felt like he had gone too far. I wonder if, if Herod ever thought that his sin was, was too great. I mean, he had had an affair with his sister-in-law, then he had an execution ordered to in some way try to, to cover it up. I wonder if he thought that he had gone too far, and I wonder if maybe you think that about yourself as well. Maybe you think you have gone too far. Maybe you think that your mistakes have piled up too high, that there's no way that you can experience any other kind of life. I've got some good news for you today. Jesus can forgive any and every sin. Jesus can break any chain through the power of the resurrection. Jesus can reverse any curse. See, you may think that your sins have so destroyed your life that there is no hope, but you're wrong because this is the God who spoke galaxies into existence. This is the same God who resurrects the dead. This is the same God who stills the storms and calms the seas. This is the God who makes everything new. Never underestimate God's ability to forgive and to heal and to to restore. Because there was another king who did something very similar to what Herod did in the Old Testament. His name started with D and ended with Avid. Remember him? King David? King David had an affair. King David ordered a murder to cover it up, but yet King David experienced forgiveness because he threw himself at the mercy of God. Herod's not there. Herod's curious about Jesus. He's just not very serious about repentance. The restoration God offers is available to us as we come to him on his terms. No matter who you are, no matter what you have done, his arms are open. He can rebuild what sin has destroyed. Jesus meets Herod. Jesus meets Pilate. But then Jesus meets some church folk. <laughs> Jesus met someone who valued religion more than a relationship. Verses 10 through 16 introduce us to a group of people called the chief priest. 
They were people with power and with pride. They spent their entire lives trying to display that they were better than others. And Jesus challenged their pride by preaching a message of equality. Jesus preached that every person was equally as sinful as any other person. According to Jesus, the priests were just as sinful as the prostitutes and the publicans. And they needed forgiveness just like everybody else. And they were so offended by this that verse 10 tells us they vehemently opposed him. Theirs was the strongest opposition of any other group. Think about that. The people who gave Jesus the most grief were religious people. They were people who would go to church temple every day. They were people who studied Scripture. They were religious about what they thought they could accomplish in and of themselves. Pursuing religion apart from a relationship with Jesus will always lead to pride because coming to Jesus requires humility and surrender because He is Jesus and we are sinners. But you see, when religion is given priority over the relationship, the focus is not on what Jesus has done for us, but the focus becomes on the good we can manufacture. And the problem is that we can't manufacture more good than Jesus, and so knowing that, we start to focus on how we're better than other people. A religious person never compares themselves and says, well, I never do at least what Jesus did. It's always, well, at least I don't do what some other person does. And we pick out a sin that they have that we may not be struggling with. And we all know that. We all (coughs) face that temptation. We all know that to be true when religion becomes our idol and our God. And that leads to another problem. If our focus is upon how much better we are than others, we will not see our need for a Savior because we won't see our own sin. And we'll pass right over a relationship with Jesus. Conversely, when you realize how sinful you are, when you understand how worthy you are of judgment, and you have no choice but to surrender to Jesus, and when you do that, you experience a relationship with Him. Religion is all about what I can do. The relationship is all about what Jesus has done. And look, I've compared what I do compared to what Jesus has done, and He has done everything far better than I will ever be able to. And so I abandon my religion in order to pursue a relationship But Jesus met someone else that day. He met a man by the name of Barabbas. And in doing so, Jesus met someone who, though guilty and condemned, was set free to live. See, Pilate said, okay, well, to get out of the mess that I've created, 
I'm going to use this custom that the people have to where at the Passover, I'll release a prisoner. So I'm going to bring out this prisoner, Barabbas, a known traitor to his country, a domestic terrorist. I'll bring him out. This is a man who has been guilty of many things. And Pilate thinks, well, surely they'll choose Jesus over Barabbas. And and so uh, this should have for the people been an easy decision. Barabbas is the epitome of a bad guy. But what happens is that the people shockingly choose Barabbas instead of having Jesus released. So Jesus, the innocent man, instead of being set free, takes the place of Barabbas, the guilty man who gets to be set free and live. Now our crimes might be different, but in our hearts, Every single one of us is a Barabbas. And in, in, in our hearts, just as Barabbas was rightfully condemned in his sin, so are we. But Barabbas got to walk away because an innocent man died in his place. And he is the first in a long line of people, myself included, I'm in that line, who have been, are being, or will be set free because Jesus died in their place. Imagine the scene that day. When Barabbas is released and, and maybe he, he finds a place of safety and he looks up on Calvary's hill and he sees Jesus dying on a cross that was designed not for Jesus but for Barabbas. And he sees a man dying not just for him, he sees a man dying instead of him. And my friend, that is the essence of the gospel. It's not just that Jesus died for you, it's that Jesus died instead of you. The gospel can be summarized in very simple words, Jesus in my place. And like Barabbas, we are guilty of sin, and that sin condemns us before God, but we can be set free to live an abundant life. But then the scripture tells us that Jesus met somebody else In verse 26, he met someone who would carry his cross and share his story. In fact, I want you to go back in your Bible and look at verse 26. Because it tells us that as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and they laid on Simon the cross to carry it behind Jesus. Now, it makes sense that Luke would record when Jesus was staggering under the weight of the cross. That shows us the extent of the suffering of Jesus. But why does Luke find it necessary to identify this specific nobody? He's not Herod, he's not not a ruler, he doesn't have power. He's not even from that area. He's got a very common name, Simon from Cyrene. Furthermore, in another gospel, Mark's gospel, 
Mark identifies not just Simon, but Mark also tells us that Simon has two sons who were with him, Rufus and Alexander. And you go, why the detail? I mean, that's just not, that's not a habit of Bible writers to just toss in these what would seem like bizarre details that they let us know the name of the man who's going to tote the cross for Jesus as well as two sons who were with him. And I think that the really the only logical reason for including such details about Simon's life is that the people who would first read the Gospels, the people to whom Luke wrote this letter, when they would read it, they would know, they would identify, they would understand who Simon is. What I'm saying is, I think it's safe to assume that Simon became a fairly faithful follower of Jesus, so that when the followers, other followers, when they read Luke's story, they go, oh yeah, that's Simon, we know him. We've gone to church with him. We know he was there that day. Furthermore, catch this. In Romans chapter 16, Paul says, give greetings to Rufus and to his mother who has become a mother to me. And almost every scholar is in agreement that that Rufus mentioned in Romans 16 is the same Rufus mentioned in Mark's gospel as the son of Simon of Cyrene. All of this leads us, leads me to this conclusion. Simon became a follower of Jesus who led his wife and his sons to faith in Christ. He picked up the physical cross of Jesus, but he also picked up his own spiritual cross and followed him. And that invitation is extended to you today. Jesus is calling us to pick up our cross and follow him as we share his story. He has a mission for you to fulfill that involves your one, that person God has put in your life for the express purpose of carrying your cross and sharing his story, Jesus' story, for them. He has a role for you to play in his kingdom advancing that will impact eternity. The only question is, will you accept his invitation? But see, the first three people we met today are people who in some way and to some degree resist Jesus. I want to ask you a couple of questions as we get ready to close this morning. Are you Pilate? Are you distracted right now by the lesser questions of life while not giving any thought to the most important question of who Jesus is and what he has done? Are you like Herod? Are you curious about Jesus and maybe you're even interested in what he could do for you, but you aren't serious enough about Jesus to make him the Lord of your life by offering him your life today? Do you have the religion like the chief priests and scribes had? Do you fill your life with spiritual to-do lists, thinking that you have to perform or achieve some standing with God instead of entering a relationship with him? Because you see, it's only when you realize that you're a Barabbas, that you can become a Simon. 
It's only when you realize that you are Barabbas that you can become a Simon. The good news this morning is that Jesus died for all of these people. He died for Pilate. He died for Herod. He died for the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and Sadducees. He died for the prostitutes and the publicans. He died for the Barabbases. He died for the Simon of Cyrene. He died for you. Do you have a relationship with him? Will you give your life to him? The Bible does not make it difficult at all. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One day, I will stand before God. One day, I'll die. It might be today, it might be tomorrow. It might be a year from now. I would say it might be 100 years from now. I don't know if I want to go that long. <laughs> There's coming a day when I'm going to die and meet God. And when I stand before Him, nothing in my hand will I bring simply to His cross. I will cling. I don't have a shot without Jesus, and neither do you. I don't have to rely on my righteousness, neither do you. Because I had someone die in my place, so did you. If there's never been a time in your life when you have confessed your sin to God, if there's ever been a time in your life that you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, what's keeping you from asking Him today. Whatever it is that's keeping you from asking Him to be your Savior, that's going to be your ticket to an eternity without Him. Don't let something so trivial and silly like your pride, because you're not going to have your pride in eternity. It's not following you. Don't let something so trivial like the cost of giving up something to follow you, because it's not, it's not going to follow you. Don't let something so trivial keep you from making the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Would you bow your head right where you are? As, you bow, as your, your heads are bowed, as, as you think about where you, where you stand with God, which of these people that we talked about this morning represents you? In these next 30 seconds, would you do whatever business with God you need to do? If that means that you need to confess your sins and ask Jesus to save you, you simply, there, there are no magic words to say, you simply cry out to God as best you know how, admit your sin to Him, and ask Him to save you. If there is another decision commitment you need to make today, in these next moments, do your business with God who offered His life for you.
Thank you. If you made a decision for Jesus today, would you share that decision with us? You can find a yellow card in the pew in front of you that's your next step. Thank you.